0: Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. Well, good morning, everybody. I am so glad that you guys are with us, and today I have a really important message for you, a message uh, that is centered around or focused on the idea of hope. This morning, we're going to find ourselves in Romans chapter 5, and we'll spend all of our time in five very important verses in the Scriptures. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. So as you're turning there, I want to kind of set the stage for where we're going inside of all of this talk about hope. Here's the challenge that we face as Christians. The challenge in our faith is that we must mean something by it. The challenge in our faith is that we must mean something by it. The scripture tells us quite clearly that faith without works is dead. If we don't mean something by our faith, the Bible would be really, uh, really hard for us to read because it would say that those who claim faith but don't walk it out or don't live it out are liars. And that's uh, that's a really hard thing to hear, I think, for people today. So the challenge in our faith is that we must mean something by it. To mean something by it, God's promises must be true. What do I mean by this? I mean that our faith has to have an object. We have to have faith in something, and that is both in the living God and the very things that he declares, the truths that he tells us in our life. So the challenge in our faith is that we must mean something by it, and to mean something by it, God's promises must be true. This is biblical hope, church. This is biblical hope. God's promises as absolute. God's promises as absolute. So we're going to get into what this means as we go forward, but let's go ahead and jump into Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. These are the words of God. Therefore, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in the hope of of the glory of God. We exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Verses three through five. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, church. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. In his work, The Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard shared uh, an amazing story of a pastor who was meeting with one of his parishioners. And inside of that meeting, as the story goes, the parishioner cursed. The, the parishioner said a word that he shouldn't have been using. And, and after a, a really awkward silence, and after a, a bit of uh, timidity on both parts, the, the parishioner actually said these words. Here's what he said, "Oh, it's all right, pastor. I cuss a little, you pray a little, but neither of us means anything by it." Now that's a staggering statement. I cuss a little, you pray a little, but neither of us mean anything by it. Why is that, why is that so shocking to us? Why, why does that sit, uh, sit so wrong in our hearts? Because of what I just shared. Here is what we need to remember today. Next slide. We need to remember that the challenge in our faith is that we must mean something by it. What is the point in praying if we don't believe that God is hearing? What is the point in living out his statutes and his ways if we don't truly believe that his kingdom has come? What does it matter if we don't really believe that Easter message that we talked about last week? What would it matter if we lived anything out? And if we do believe those things, wouldn't it or shouldn't it affect everything in our life? Yeah. Our faith should produce works. It should lead us to something bigger. So the challenge in our faith is that we have to mean something by it. But in order to mean something by our faith, it has to be resting on something. To mean something by our faith, God's promises again must be true. They must be true. This is biblical hope. This is God's promises as an absolute. So we're going to start at verse 1, and we're going to walk our way through this. And as we do this, I think you're going to be really challenged, and I think you're going to be really encouraged, because when we understand what biblical hope is, it sets our hearts at ease. But when we understand what biblical hope is, it demands something deeply from our lives. It demands faith and trust. So here's where we begin with the Apostle Paul. Therefore, having been justified by faith. I hope you know this, but when you're reading the scripture, the the Bible will tell us that all of God's word is truth because there are moments when if you take something out of context, you actually end up in a different belief. You end up with a different idea. You can come up with all kinds of strange doctrines if you take things out of context. What Paul is doing here, because Paul is the one who said this other thing that I'm gonna share with you in a second, Paul is using biblical shorthand. Right, Paul says we are justified by faith, but Paul knows, and Paul has taught that faith must rest in something. We have to have something to rest in. That's what hope is. Okay, so we come up with ideas like we are, we believe in uh, justification by faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone. All of that is true, right? But all of that is true together which makes it sticky that we keep saying everything is alone. (laughs) But you know what the point is by all those statements. The point is that we are justified by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, by the grace that that displays, it is the free gift of God, and then by trusting in that, not by earning it, not by working for it, but by trusting in it. So when Paul says, therefore, we have been justified by faith, he is saying, we are justified by trusting in the hope that I'm about to share with you. Remember, it's the Apostle Paul who said, By grace, through faith, we have been saved, and this is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. God has given us something to trust in, right? So he goes on after this and he says this Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom, through whom we are. Uh, Also, we have obtained our introduction by faith, and we're going to come back to that in a little bit, but our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Now. Here's what we have to understand about these verses and about these highlighted pieces here. Number one, faith has to rest in something, right? Faith has to trust in something. For years, I've given you this illustration. I wish I would have come up with this illustration, but I've shared with you for years that uh, faith is sitting in a chair. Faith is trust and that is all. And so when we have faith, when we trust God, this would represent God in some way. And what we would do is we would just simply rest. In God. This is what faith, according to the Bible, really looks like. We trust in him. But the piece that we need to expand on, I think, uh, as we grow as Christians, is to understand what this chair really is. It is the person of Jesus Christ, but it is also every piece of hope that he has declared to us. This represents his promise. So I can have faith, and I'm justified by my faith, But I'm not justified without the chair. (laughs) I'm not justified without something uh, in which I'm resting, okay? And so this is the hope that God has given us, and we trust that. This, again, is justified by faith. But he goes on and he says that we exult in the hope, The NIV is actually the only English translation that stresses that definite article, the hope. And it's important that it does. Now you can get it through the NASB and the ESV. You can still get the point of what is being said here. Because if you read, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God, hope is particular. Hope is the glory of God. We see that. But the NIV wants to stress in that thought-for-thought way that it's trying uh, trying to convey the Word of God, it wants you to understand that hope is concrete. Hope is an absolute church. We live in a weird day where what we think hope means, what we associate hope with, is wishful thinking. Right? We say things like this all the time. We go, well, I hope that that's true. I hope that that's real. I hope this is, this is a promise for me or I hope that that's what God wants for me. I hope you realize that's not what hope is. <laughs> what you might as well say is, I wish that God would have saved me. What you should say is, I'm hedging my bets. I think that there's a greater chance that God is real and that I get to go to heaven someday when I die. You are not reading the Bible. (laughs) That is not what the scriptures say. That would be like God saying, I've provided a chair for you to rest in, and you saying, well, I hope it can hold me, but never getting in it. You either believe it can hold you, or you don't rest in it, right? You see how faith actually works. So, We have to understand that hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is not crossing our fingers. This has led to really obscure views of faith inside of our culture. There are many groups inside of the church that believe things like, well, by faith, I'm going to speak things into existence. I'm going to speak something that isn't as though it were. You know it doesn't work that way, right? You know that the only one who can speak things into existence is God alone. What you do by faith is you exalt in what he has spoken. That is what faith and hope have to do with us. God can command the world to change, but we trust in what he says. We trust in what he says. That's what our faith looks like. So this idea of of claiming things and naming it and claiming it and all this nonsense, it is precisely that. These are pagan ideas. These are not biblical ideas. What we are to do is to trust in what God has spoken. That's why being justified by faith, faith has to have an object. That's the promise of God. That's what hope really is. Now, the hope that we're talking about here is not only our redemption and our salvation, but it is something far bigger because look at what Paul does. He says, we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Just a little while ago, I shared with you a message where when Paul says in Romans 3 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Paul is not just being redundant. He is not saying that all have sinned, that is that we have missed the mark, we have not done as God has asked us to do. And then he just repeats it and says, and we have sinned again. All have sinned, and by the way, all sinned. That's not what Paul is saying. What he is saying is that all have sinned, we have all missed the mark, and sadly, we fall short of the glory for which we were created, which is the glory of God. How many of you know that in the Bible, we were created to rule and reign on this planet? The scripture says that we were to be fruitful and multiply, and we were to subdue the earth. When Paul addresses this falling short of the glory of God, what he is addressing is our constant propensity to not be a vocational people for the kingdom of God, to not do what he has called us and commanded us to do. And since we don't do that, the problem is is that God is not glorified in the world. As a matter of fact, rather, God is mocked in the world because the people who are supposed to have hope aren't sitting. We're not trusting. We're not saying God said that a man should live this way, a woman should live this way, a church should operate this way. We're not living according to those things. So the world says, "Ah, it's all hooey. This isn't true. It's just a bunch of made-up gibberish. No, it's not. It is true. It is absolute. But we must live that. So we are called to the glory of God or to present or reflect the glory of God as image bearers. We need to be doing that in this day and this age because it brings glory to God. And we have been made capable of that through the Spirit of God that dwells inside of us. What happens for most of us is that we don't even know what the hope is, so we're confused. And we just try to make it through each day, figuring out how, uh, how to make it to tomorrow. This is not a hopeful existence. This is not something powerful or profound. Let me go even further with the glory of God and show you that it's not just a human view of this. The scripture says that the creation of God was subjected to futility against its will. What does all that mean? That means that the creation is experiencing all of the byproducts, all of the consequences of the fall. It is living without image bearers to rule and to reign it, to watch over it and to care for it because we've sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does the scripture then go to say? It says that the creation is longing, it is yearning for what? The image bearers, the sons of God to be revealed. Why? Because that was actually our hope. Our hope is, or the world's hope too, was that we were supposed to rule reflecting God's image into the world. That's what we were supposed to do. But we fall short of that glory. This is all what hope is according to the scripture. This is something that motivates us and moves us forward every single day of our lives. But here's the deal. If we don't believe in this hope and we don't believe in bringing glory to God, I can tell you that our faith won't show anything. We will live every day saying, well, I I believe the chair will hold me. I'm not going to sit in it. I believe what God says is true. I wish what God said was true was true, but I'm not going to actually rest in it or trust in it. Sadly, church, we're not meaning anything by our faith, and we don't mean anything by our faith because we don't truly believe that this hope is absolute. We don't believe that God's promises are absolutely true. So Paul goes on, Romans 5, 1 and 2. Uh, He says, and not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. Right, right. We exalt in our tribulations. You wanna know why that that verse is so hard for a modern Christian to hear? Because of what I just said. We don't believe the promises of God are absolute. We don't believe that we were intended to bring glory in the world by reflecting God's image. We don't believe that we are supposed to look more and more like Jesus every day. We don't believe that the hope of the gospel is for the whole world, and therefore we should go and preach it to all nations. We don't believe it, and guess what happens? We don't actually walk it out. Ah, you cuss a little, I pray a little, but neither of us mean anything by it. That's a dangerous way to live, isn't it, church? We're supposed to be a people of action. And because we don't believe that, we surely won't face tribulation. We surely won't endure tribulation because, again, we don't believe what it is bringing about. Look at what Paul goes on to say. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations knowing, say it with me, church, Knowing, knowing that tribulation, and you need to check the wording here, brings about. It doesn't produce, it doesn't create, it brings about something because it's a natural outflow. It is the, it is the, the byproduct. I suppose that's another way of saying that, but, but it brings about something because it's working something in us. Look at this. It says that our tribulations, knowing that our tribulations bring about perseverance. And perseverance brings about proven character. The only way we are going to exalt in tribulation is if we believe the promise that God is making us into something. If he is molding us and shaping, sanctifying us, and making us look more and more like King Jesus. This is really, really big for us. I'm not sure that we grasp it. Why? Because our view of hope is wishful thinking. Our view of hope is not an absolute. The absolute, the chair in this situation, is proven character. The chair in this situation is that God is building in us a perseverance of our faith. What is, what is absolute in this situation is that God is making us into those proper image bearers that reflect His glory to the world the way He always intended us to do and be, right? It's back to the glory in the world. This is really big. So he goes on, and he says this, and not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character, hope. Wait, Wait a second, Nathan. I thought you just told us that hope was an absolute. How can hope be brought about in this context? This is an important understanding of how we read the word of God. First of all, it brings about this hope. The scripture tells us that we see through a glass darkly. How many of you know that? We see through a glass darkly, which means even the chair we do see that God has promised through his word, even that chair, we don't see the fullness of all of it yet. We don't understand the depth and the beauty of all that God has Uh, invited us to in this hope, okay? But what happens, what happens if we will trust God, if we will trust in that gospel message in that hope that began, what happens is that we will endure tribulation because we know that God wants us to be a perseverant people, He wants us to be a patient people. He wants us to push through. How many of you know that? That is what love is, by the way. Love is patient. Love is kind. All of that is a part of this. So he wants us to be this people, and we have hope that this is bringing about something. And then that perseverance brings proven character. And that proven character, as we sit firmly and firmly in this chair, here's what we know. That thing we see through a glass darkly becomes clearer and clearer that this is the only chair worth sitting in. It is the only thing worth trusting in. What happens when you see the work of God unfold in your life is it makes you understand the absolute sureness of God's promise in a better way every day of your life. So what should happen as a Christian is that the more you trust in him, the more you kind of wiggle back into this chair and find true rest. The more, the more you're tempted to just go ahead and put the seatbelt on while we're here, okay? Because this is where God wants us. He wants us abiding in the shadow of the Almighty. He wants us trusting in him. This is what happens over time when we will really trust him. Now, let's just hit these ideas of perseverance and proven character a little bit more. You know, the Bible says that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I I share this all the time. But there are two common misrenderings of that uh, passage. Nobody will say it this way, but you can see how people believe by their, you can see what they believe the scripture says by how they live. So here's what one misreading is. God works all good things together for the good of those who love him. That's the first misreading, and that is God only wants what's good for me. You have a fundamental misunderstanding of the sovereignty, of the just nature, of the holiness of God. Sure, does God want good for his people? Absolutely, he does. But God wants such good for his people that he is willing to correct us, he is willing to discipline us, he's willing to shape and mold us, and all of that is very painful in its initial uh, outplay right? Uh, no te- or, uh, not no temptation, but no discipline is, is welcomed in the beginning. <laughs> we, we go, ow, that hurt. Yeah, it hurt. But it's bringing about a perfect work. It's bringing about something beautiful. So the first misreading is God works all good things together for the good of those who love him. God is also going to work out uh, some really rough things in your life. See, this is is one of the faulty views of some in the church. God will never let a pandemic come near our houses. I don't know where you're reading that in the Bible. Uh, Because, well, it's near our houses. (laughs) It's right here. Church, do you know that just a month ago, just a month ago, we had uh, an estimated, according to Johns Hopkins University, we had an estimated 160,000 COVID cases in the world do you know as of today, we have over 160,000 deaths of COVID in the world? With over 2.3 million cases worldwide. And nobody knows what the outcome's going to be. Nobody know what, knows what the end of this looks like. Well, the reality is there's a lot of rough stuff that's happening to us. But here's what our hope is. God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So the first misreading is God works all good things together for the good of those who love him. The second misreading is God works all things together for the good as I define it (laughs) for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That is simply not true either. God, in this verse, is going to allow tribulation. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, tribulation, you, (laughs) me, tribulation. And guess what that tribulation is going to produce in us? If we will stay in the chair, if we will trust God, if we will have genuine biblical hope that's absolute, it will produce in us perseverance. One of the reasons why the Christian church looks a lot like the rest of the world is because we don't want to get the lesson of perseverance. We have insulated ourselves from every tragedy and every hard time in our life, and we've all claimed that God is the one who promised that it would never come. It's not what the Bible says. As a matter of fact, tribulation will come, and we exalt in that tribulation. I don't know the last time I exalted in it, but I know that I exalt in what it produces because tribulation produces perseverance. Uh, Many people say, I want to be a more patient person. How many of you pray for patience? Okay, Uh, most of us don't pray for patience because we know what patience means, long-suffering. The problem is we don't realize that in order to get patience, which is long-suffering, you have to suffer long. I don't want to suffer at all. I don't want to go through any of that. What you're doing is not believing in the hope of God, not believing in the truth of what he says, and therefore, you're not going to arrive at this place of perseverance because you're trying to insulate yourself. That's not what we're supposed to do. We should believe the promises of God are true. We should rest in those promises. But we have to know that that God is working something in us. So he works all things together for our good. Tribulation brings perseverance. Perseverance brings character development. Proven, godly, Jesus-reflecting character. You want to be a better person? Don't listen to Oprah Winfrey. You want to be a better person? Submit to Jesus. That's the answer according to Scripture. But if you're going to submit to the hope of Jesus, remember this, you're also going to submit to exalting and tribulation because God is working something for our good inside of this situation. We need to keep that in mind. And so all of this leads to a proven character and proven character leads to a clearer, more uh, more, uh, beautifully understood hope accurate according to the Bible. And before we go back to verse 2, I want to share with you something about hope and about the promises of God. There's a Bible passage that says that all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Now, the Bible says it. It's absolutely true. It is not able to be uh, shoveled off onto a margin page where we just can't explain it and understand it. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. But here's what we need discernment about. This is where we need to grow in our understanding of rightly dividing the word of God. All the promises always have been yes and amen in Christ Jesus. What do I mean by that? Um, Jesus wasn't created in the New Testament to give the God of the Old Testament a makeover, okay? That's not what happened. What happened is that the second person of the Trinity has always eternally existed, which means that when God spoke a promise in the Old Testament, the Logos, the Word, Jesus, was the one who brought that promise to All of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. They were in Abraham's day and they are in our day. But here's where we go astray. Here's where we go astray. There were promises that were made to people in the past that are not your promises. What? All of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. You have a fundamental misunderstanding of that passage. God promised Abraham Isaac. Is that your promise? All of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. It's not your promise. Why is it not your promise? Because it's not intended to be your promise. It's just logic. It's not intended that way. But everything God does do now is yes and amen the same way it always was. Because the logos carries out the will of God. Christ Jesus is always the amen in everything that God does. He is the one carrying it to completion. We have to understand it right. What does all this mean, Nathan? Why why go on this little sidetrack? Because too many Christians are claiming a hope and a promise God never made. And then they're mad at him for not doing it or they make up other doctrines uh, uh, on top of other doctrines to explain away why it never seems to happen for them in their life. The best thing for us to do is to rightly understand the Word of God. The best thing for us to do is run back to the Scripture and say, how am I misunderstanding this, Lord? Help me. It's called humility, and it's really, really important in our journey in faith. So, uh, one of the things that the Bible says is that hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. How many of you know that hope, again, is an absolute, and in order for the heart to grow grow sick at hope deferred, it had to have an absolute truth there. I shared this uh, with you guys a while ago. I said that many husbands and wives can really relate to this idea of hope deferred making the heart grow sick, and I kind of picked on men at that point. intentionally but I kind of picked on them and I said listen if you tell your wives all the time you're going to fix the house you're going to do this and you're going to do this and you're going to do this what are you doing your word is your bond so what you're doing is you're making a promise and your wife is believing that promise but now 10 years later nothing has been fixed guess who's sick Mama is sick, right? Her heart has grown sick because hope is deferred. That's what happens in that situation. God's promises don't fall short. They always come true. They always work out. But let me let me give you another scenario. If the wife never asked her husband to fix something around the house, or the husband never made a promise to fix it, should the wife get upset? Should the wife grow sick at hope deferred? No, because no promise was ever made. This is what we do with God. This is what we do with God. We're sitting there saying, God, where are you? Why don't you? And God's going, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I made a promise and this is the promise for you. I want you to exalt in tribulation because tribulation is bringing about perseverance and perseverance is bringing about good character and that character is giving you a better view of my hope, my absolute true promises that you get to rest in. That's what we need to understand, church. So what is this idea of hope being produced and becoming clearer? This is a really amazing thing that maybe you miss it if you don't read verse 2 to very carefully. Look at what verse 2 said. It said, through Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained, say it with me church, our introduction. Okay, don't, Paul didn't just throw in words for no reason. Our introduction by faith into this grace. The reason why at first we trust in the hope of God, but over character development, we see that hope and it becomes bigger and bigger, is because when we came to Jesus, we came to the introduction. It was the beginning. This progression of sanctification and life is unfolding every day, every hour of our lives. So when you take yourself back to that moment, and this is really hopeful for you. This is really a moment of joy and uh, and hopefully something that spurs you to praise God. But when you go back to that moment where you repented of your sins and you believed in Jesus for that first time, and I know you guys know what I'm talking about. It was a a mixed ball of emotions. On one hand, you felt this weight of guilt and, and, and shame because of your sin, but Jesus met it with kindness and compassion and salvation, and so you felt broken and yet healed at the same time. How many of you know what I'm talking about? That was one of the most amazing times. Song after song after song has been written about that moment in our life. I wrote a song called uh, crying out to God, take me back to that place. Take me back to that place where I once was. Because what I remember of it was the beauty of it. I no longer sing that song and I no longer cry that out. Why? Because that was just the introduction to how much God loves me. That was just the introduction to his grace. The feeling you had in that moment pales in comparison to the feeling you have when you endure tribulation and trial for perseverance' sake, for character's sake, for a clearer view of hope's sake. When you get to that place, trust me, sitting tighter and tighter and further back in this chair is a greater joy than you can ever imagine, ever imagine in life. So that place where we were was just the intro. This movement, this play, this song keeps rolling. And it hasn't even reached its climax yet, church. We haven't even seen the face of God yet. It's going to be utterly amazing when we get there. So go back to the passage before. The next one, next slide, guys. And not only this, but we exalt in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. Look at what Paul goes on to say. And hope does not disappoint. Hope can't disappoint, it's an absolute. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is not, I really, really, really hope I get to go to heaven when I die. no, 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 no. that's not right either. right? The idea is God is true. He is not a liar. So hope does not disappoint because, and here's how you know it, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Slight sidetrack. There are those who believe that the Holy Spirit comes as some sort of subsequent idea in the Christian life. The problem with this view The problem with this view is that you can't actually have the hope that Paul talks about in Romans 5, right? The hope that Paul talks about that is produced in us is confirmed, is proven because the Spirit dwells in us. He is given to us. Are there times in our Christian life where God empowers us for greater things? Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. Why? Because, here's what the scripture says. It says that we should eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Well, that would mean, even though I'm a Christian, there's more to be desired. That's amazing. But that is not, I gave my life to Jesus, but I don't have the Spirit until some weird event happens to me. That's not what the Bible says. Paul says that those who do not have the Spirit of God do not belong to Him. Well, that's dangerous. You can't be a Christian, not have the Spirit, and think that you belong to Him. It just doesn't work that way. You see, the the confirmation of the hope that we have is the very deposit Jesus said He was going to give us. And that is the Spirit of God that dwells inside of us. And what does He do every day? He pours out the love of God inside of our hearts, inside of us, each and every day. This is important, church, because what I shared at the beginning is true yet again now. Next slide. The challenge in our faith is that we must mean something by it. To mean something by it, God's promises must be true. That is the actual promises that apply to us. This this is biblical hope because God's promises are absolutes. It's not wishful thinking. It's as solid as this chair. You may not see it. But blessed are those who believe and do not see. That's what the scripture tells us. But it is as solid as this chair. So let's put this in a practical uh, lens or through a practical lens as we wrap this whole thing up. You say, Nathan, I have people in my life who have gotten sick, people who have died. I've lost my job. My career is, is probably not going to be there when I get back. What in the world are you saying to me? Are you saying to me that I should just hope in Jesus? yeah, I actually am. I actually am. I'm I'm saying to you that what we need to do as Christians is show the world what sets us apart in this respect. And that is that we even not only preach the gospel, but we believe the gospel. We have firmly rested in this absolute hope of God. So guess what might be happening right now? Whether it's through the loss of a loved one or whether it's through the loss of your job or whether it's through the uncertainty of life. Here is what is absolutely true for you. What is absolutely true for you is that you can exalt in this trial. You can exalt in it. Why can you exalt in it? Because if you exalt in this, if you rest in this trial, what is God going to build in you? Perseverance. And that perseverance is going to build character. And that character is going to give you a bigger and better sense of hope. Something like you've never seen before. The very hope that you're going to see at the end of it will not be the hope that you saw at the introduction. The hope that you saw at the introduction, as great as it was, pales in comparison to the hope that comes when our character is molded and shaped by the issues of life that God works together for our good. Church, hope is so important, but we can't accept the world's definition of it any longer. We are not crossing our fingers. We are not crying in our homes, hoping that God is still on the throne and taking care of issues in our life. We are not to be a people who are are, are groveling and weeping and constantly fearing in anxiety the worries of tomorrow because we don't believe God is still king He's still working. We should be the people who say, this is hard, this is hard. And I am grieving even in these moments, but joy comes in the morning. Joy comes tomorrow because I trust in the God of hope, an absolute truth. Church, we have got to recapture this idea of hope. We talk about our faith all the time, but it must mean something. It must mean something. Our prayers must mean something. Our enduring the fire of life must mean something. It can mean something if you believe that this is absolutely true. If you believe that it is not wishful thinking, but that it is something that you can put your entire life's weight on. Guys, we have to understand hope. No matter what you're facing, you have to realize God is working it together for your good. So, you may face loss. You may face tragedy. You may face trial in this life. God says, wait till you see what I am creating. Wait till you see what I'm producing in you. Something that has an eternal weight of glory. Isn't that an amazing principle? Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.